CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. We're recording this on Thursday. You'll get it on Thursday evening. That means it is the Game Plan podcast. I've got Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. And, of course, we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. Mm. Definitely a mm, there. They got a lot of sweet gear, especially as the weather cools for you to get and for Christmas as well. And if you're a premium subscriber, you should know by now you get 10% off those orders. Greg, I'm going to start with you first. A little bit of adversity for both of these teams coming into the game. They're ranked. Carolina's coming off a loss, and State's coming off a, game, a win where they lost their quarterback. A stat that was surprising to me, Dave Doran, who everybody rips and rags unmercifully and sometimes – perhaps unwarrantedly, that's going to get some people riled up. But he's 3-0 and in Keenan Stadium. NC State has won five of the last six in Keenan Stadium. The only loss being the Geo return back in 2012, Greg. This is a big ball game for Mac Brown and what he's trying to accomplish, is it not? Yeah, this, this speaks to how big of a rivalry this is, at least within the state's borders, right? Because there's always a story to tell about a coach, um, Michael Kane's first year taking taking over for Dick Sheridan was what year, 1993, um, and he went on to lose I think five straight to Mac Brown. Uh, that never sat well, with Tar Heels. Mac Brown got a lot of heat because he had lost five straight to uh, NC State when he first came aboard, and then he ended up winning. He's won six in a row now. Uh, Tom O'Brien, a lot of people say that 2012 game is why he ultimately got the kick. Uh, and then we mentioned Dave Dorn and his record in Keenan. I've told him this story before. Uh, if NC State does not beat UNC in 2016 and pull that upset, uh, everything that we heard coming out of Raleigh was that he was gone. He was a dead man walking. And by winning that game, that saved his job. And he even alluded to that on Monday, saying that he needed to win that one to keep his job. So I think he knew that too. Uh, and, of course, you, that was the one where State jumped out to 21-zip lead. Carolina comes back, and, and Trubisky just barely overthrows Buck Howard on a critical fourth down late in the game. Uh, that would have given North Carolina a pretty good chance to, to at least force overtime. Um, but it's, it's a, one of those rivalries that, that everybody uh, takes seriously around here. And, you know, we can talk about Wake, and we can talk about Virginia and Duke, um, but none of those really kind of hold a candle to – NC State. It's like the Carolina Duke series in basketball. Um, that's the one that matters most. And so that, that adds the fun element to it. I mean, it was critically important for Mac Brown to win last year. And I think everybody watching that game in the first half was like, oh no, are they really going to blow this? And then Carolina blew them out. They were late. 
Um, and that, that was an important win for Mac uh, to kind of say, hey, look, I'm back. I've won six in a row against the Wolfpack. We're going to dominate in-state recruiting. Uh, and so he needs to keep that going. And, and like you said, Tommy, uh, some adversity last week for both of these teams. I'm a little surprised that the spread is as high as it is. Uh, but, but that's going to be a key component to this weekend. Who can emerge and who can handle adversity the best? Yeah, looking at Dave Doran, he's one win away from tying Dick Sheraton as the second all-time winnest NC State football coach. That's a little bit surprising. Dick Sheraton, of course, we know, uh, didn't coach there quite as long as many thought he would. Jason, rivalry week, how different it is, is it in the locker room for these players? Oh, it matters. <laughs> these are guys you played high school ball against. These are guys – that's the thing where – and I think Mac understands this also more than most than a lot of coaches is that's one of the reasons why you want to recruit guys from your own state, all things being equal is those guys understand where the priorities really sit and they, they value these, these kind of things more, you know, it just, you give the sec all the, all the crap they deserve for, it just means more, but rivalry games, it just means more. And, when you're a guy from the state of North Carolina and you played against the, the guys across from you and you grew up listening to or listening to or watching the North Carolina, North Carolina States, uh, Wake Forest, Duke, the local teams, and you've got, you know, your preference among those and you've got all, all sorts of people that have their allegiances everywhere you look, then you play in those games it matters more. And, and when you go home, the bragging rights, the bragging rights matter. You know, you don't want to be hearing from that, you know, person that you graduated, you know, same, same class with, you don't want to hear them telling you about how, you know, their, their, their program is better or how, you know, you sucked against, you know, against the rival. So that matters. And that I think is one of the reasons why Mac is so adamant about making sure that you, unless there's a, a, a much better player that's outside the state, you lock down your state. Because, again, you're, you're dealing with guys that, that kind of understand the lifeblood of the program and understand these rivalries. And Carolina has a lot of players on this roster who've played against guys who are on the NC State roster or played with them in high school and in all-star games and in everything else. And it's, it's just like you know playing against your brother or against a sibling – you don't want, there's that extra you don't want to lose because of the familiarity there. And yeah, that matters. Jason, we've touched on this before, but I kind of want to dive back into it. Uh, when I took over on the beat, it was coming off the John Bunning era. And for everything you want to say about John Bunning, he was four and two against NC State. He understood what that rivalry meant. And granted, you got a clown on the other side and Chuck Amato, a literal <laughs> clown. And so it was just a great, week to watch college football in the state of North Carolina because they were both as uh, goofballs. I mean, they, they, they were great for that rivalry. But Bunning took it personally, and he <laughs> made sure clown. that <laughs> – He took it personally, and, and Amato did to an extent as well, but it meant a lot. And so the fans really rallied around that game. Granted, that was really the only game that they could rally around in the Bunning era. But then you get Bush Davis to come to town, coming from the NFL – and Butch very much was like, we're not, we're not making any one game bigger than the other one. Uh, we're playing in East State. We're playing NC State. We're playing Duke. We're playing Connecticut. All the same. Because if we try to get up too much for one game, that means we're not getting enough for some of these other ones. 
And fans were taken aback by that approach. He goes on to lose four straight games in C State. Hmm. He never lived that down. Hmm. Um, and so, wonder if there's a correlation there. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you because when you when you Larry Fedora after the Miami loss in 2013, that's really when he started saying, "Okay, guys, we're 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 going to take this differently. We're just going to worry about this week. We're just worried about going one and zero. That's all we want to do." And even though to us, to the media, and to the public. He said the same thing, that we're not taking these games any more serious at the robberies. We knew from players that he was decorating the locker room with NC State paraphernalia. Mac is saying the same things on the up and up. Yes, it's important for the fans. It's, it's very important for the fans for the reasons that you mentioned, Jason. So how do you balance that? How do you balance the fact that, yes, you can't take NC State more seriously than you take Notre Dame? We all know that. But at the same time, this game does matter a lot more to fans if you lose it. If you win it, maybe not as much, but you can't lose the game. So how do you balance that as a coaching staff? So there are a few things. One is you do preach year, year long. You have to preach consistency that we're going to be business. Like we're going to prepare the same with the same quality, with the same attention to detail, with the same professionalism for every game. You have to do that. At the same point, you know, and your players kind of know too, but you know in the back of your mind that you can't play your A game. Normal season would be, let's say, 13 games. You can't play your A game 13 weeks in a row. You can't. No team can do that. Alabama's never done it. And so at that point, you have to, you have to understand exactly how that feeds into the psyche of your team to where – you're going to emphasize that we have to keep our attention to detail. We're going to treat this game just like any other. And then when you actually get to rivalry week, <laughs> when you actually do play that team, you and your team know full well that this one means more in the sense of this one matters if you lose. Like you said, it's, it's, it's a matter. So, you know, beating a, a top five team matters more if you do it in the sense of like, that's, that's a huge win, but the loss doesn't sting nearly as much in, for anybody. Cause it's like, well, we weren't supposed to win that game. A rivalry loss always hurts and it hurts bad. And you know that your team knows that. And so what coaches who do this right do is they emphasize to their team all year that every game is the same. But then once you actually get to those weeks, you kind of, you kind of admit you don't openly go into, I think, I think it is a mistake at times to, to, uh, to sell out and like, this is the week that matters. You don't do that because that, that kind of obviates all the other, all the other stuff, but you do allow things to feed into the, the rivalry to say, okay, like guys, I know how many people here have played against guys on the other side. All right, look, I know this game means a little bit more to you all. And we got, we're, we're going we're gonna to continue to practice like we do every week. But you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, understand, I understand that aspect of it. And you, let the, you just let it sit there. And I do think, you know, at times there's a time to, you know, put some decorations up or do different things. You can do that for any team. It doesn't matter if it's a rival or not. That's kind of a college approach. You know, Ohio State and Michigan do this where, you know, they'll play their other's anthem all week and these sorts of things just because, you know, it feeds into that. Okay, whatever. You can choose to do that. But again, you're still focusing on the, we're going to treat this like any other game. And guys, let's not get too high. Let's not get too low. 
you know, what, let's not play too, let's not get, and this is one of the things, sometimes fans will look at a, um, a team that comes out and doesn't play well early and they'll say, well, they were, oh, they were flat. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes they came out and they, were, they, they wanted it so bad and they were so passionate that it looks flat, that they're just not executing. So you just kind of have to have your finger on the pulse of the team and say, okay, let's, let's focus on this the way that we always would. It's okay if it means more to you. But we're going to focus on this the way that we always would. And then there's this second layer, which is not the psychological one. And that is, I believe, and I'm, I'm a college guy at heart, not an NFL guy. I believe in what, what I've talked about before on this podcast, you have to recognize that there are certain games on your schedule that matter more to your boosters, matter more to your fans, matter more to your players, and just matter more. For those games, you circle those as a staff. You don't tell your players you're doing that, but you always have a few extra wrinkles for those games. You always have a couple tendency breakers. You always have a trick play or a special teams thing up your sleeve for those games. And you don't break those things out in other games. You have to do that. And, you know, this is something – actually, I think to some degree, Florida State did that against, uh, against UNC this last week. There were a couple tendency breakers that they ran early that helped them get up that I hadn't seen from them. And, you know, you have to kind of go to Mike Norvell's past in some rivalry games to find some of that stuff. And, it's, and, and you can tell that they – as far as I can tell, they kind of circled North Carolina on the schedule as this is a, this is a really good team that we think we can – we might be able to beat. So we're going to pull out the stops. And that's what you do if you're North Carolina going into NC state. It doesn't matter that they're bad. And actually they're better this year than I think any of us thought they'd be. At least they were with Leary. I'm not sure how good they're going to be with, with Hockman again, but what you do, you come in and you say, okay, guys, we've been working this all week. We've been working this all year. All right. Now here's, here's a little wrinkle. We're going to add this little reverse off this boot that we've been doing, or here's a little pass little double pass that we've had in play that we've been setting up for three weeks based on this. And here's a, here's a little special teams thing that we, we think we can get a block off of this. You always have those extra things for the, for the rivalry games, because you, you, that, that first of all, helps feed into the players a little bit and rivalry games are so momentum based that you can, you can really, that's, that's what the good staffs do to make sure that they win those rivalry games. So it's, you're hitting that balance of we're going to put the same attention detail and everything into every game, but we're going to have a couple wrinkles schematically and a couple other things in every rivalry game. And maybe the, the upset bid that we have, you know, if, if Carolina's playing a Clemson last year, they broke out some, some of that stuff last year against Clemson. You have that stuff for those games and you pull it out then. And, and I think that's something we've seen from Mac every time he's, he's been in a rivalry game. There's always something. There's always something, something that you can point to and be like, oh, that's it you saw in the offseason and you saved for NC State this year. That's an interesting take. I wonder how this game being played midseason or relatively early, comparatively speaking, changes things there. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt. I mentioned him briefly in the opening. I'm going to go ahead and get this redone so we can break down the actual game plan after the break. With Johnny T-shirts, friends of Inside Carolina, friends of Inside Carolina, premium subscribers, especially 10% off your order, constantly having sales. You have to sign up for their emails. You get notifications of all the great sales they have in store and online, and they're open. So go see them on Franklin Street, alumni owned and operated. We need to support them as much as possible. Small businesses need our support. 
you know, you might be able to get it from somewhere else, but if you can get it from Johnny T-shirt, they'll do great on the prices and you get that 10% off if you're inside Carolina and you can support local. Take another short break. National Guys Pay the Bills will be right back with the Game Plan Podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, and Greg Barnes. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount+. Plus. All right, Greg and Jason, let's get into the actual game plan for the Game Plan Podcast. Uh, I think we talked, uh, I've talked to each of you this past week, and I don't, think we I think we agree that we didn't really like the game plan itself for Florida State the way North Carolina um, started out Greg Carolina faces let's go offense Carolina first Carolina faces a different type team so Florida State was strong on the defensive line or had ability on the defensive line I think that's state's strength on defense state's linebackers though have played well they're, what, first, sixth, and tenth in the league in tackles with Peyton Wilson leaving, leading the way with close to a dozen. And then they're secondary iffy. So how does Carolina approach this one um, differently than they approach the Florida State game, rivalry and all that stuff you want to throw about? But how does Longo change up what he tried to do last week to sort of accomplish something this week early? You know, I, I – in terms of what North Carolina did early against Florida State, uh, I don't know that I think it was necessarily a bad idea. Uh, it just wasn't executed properly. I mean, I, I like the idea of leaning on the, uh, the run game. Um, as we talked about, Tommy, you know, I don't know how much it is Longo, how much it is Sam Howe not looking over the middle maybe as much as um, he probably should. But we knew Florida State was going to take away the, the deep ball. That's what every team's going to do this year. And so I think Longo really has to make sure he schemes up to, uh, you know, you don't want to take any dangerous shots, but you need to set up a few shots down the field to at least let defenses know that, hey, you know, we're, we're looking every play to go long. You're going to have to defend it. Um, and North Carolina didn't even attempt that early in the game. And some of those long passes that Howell completed were to his tight end and to his running back, not even challenging the, the cornerbacks until we got into the second half. Uh, so obviously you don't want to – Enter halftime down 31-7. I think that's, that's for sure part of the game plan. Um, but when you look at NC State, you know, they're running this 3-3-5, um, which a lot of people kind of wonder what that is. I mean, you know, really in design, it's not too much different than what Jay Bateman does. Uh, Gibson wants to bring pressure from all over the field as best he can. Um, they like Levi Jones, who's a linebacker. He's like 6'3", 230, 240. 
and they think he's the guy that if they need a, a fourth guy up front, they can bring him up to give him more of a 4-3 look, 4-2 look. Uh, and, and so you see a lot of multi-fronts from, from what he wants to do, at least capable-wise. They can do that. Um, but their best player, and, and the you know, evaluations, the grading, PFF bears it out, it's Aline McNeil up front. I mean, he won the matchup with Brian Anderson last year. That's one of the reasons that game was so close in the first half. Uh, he's really just a stud nose tackle. Yeah, he's a player. He is. He really is. Um, and so that's one of the things you have to you have to guard against. I mean, if you look at what North Carolina has been able to do uh, rushing the ball, they're really good uh, off the right side. I mean, they're averaging, let's see, uh, 9.1 and 9.9 yards per play, <laughs> yards per attempt, off right guard, off right tackle. Um, that's that's quite impressive, and that's one of the reasons that Marcus McKeithen and Jordan Tucker have been have graded out as well as they have. Uh, so you're going to have to figure out a way to to get some help with McNeil, as Jason's talked about. Brian Anderson, uh, he, he's a good player, but he is not a he's not a road grader. That's that's not what he does. He's he's more of a finesse center, um, and so that's a matchup that if you're just asking Anderson to go one on one. He's going to lose more often than not. And that's just a tough, that's a tough spot to win. That's, that's no knock on Anderson. So you're going to have to get him help there. Um, but you do want to be able to run the ball. I mean, one thing that Florida State showed us, and we've seen it before this season, uh, and, and Phil Longo was open about this this week, North Carolina's issues, you know, when they can run the ball, uh, offensive line's done well. When they can run the ball and then use play action, the offensive line's done well. But when they're in obvious passing downs, that's where the linemen really struggle. And so that's what you have to do. You have to make sure you're good on first and second down so you're not getting into these obvious passing downs on third down. That's where you get in trouble. And so whether that's strictly just running the ball or that's making use of some of those short passing game routes, that's what you're going to have to see. Uh, and then once, once you're able to buy uh, how a little bit of time, then you can take some deeper shots down the field. But, I, I, again, I don't know that what Longo wanted to do against Florida State is all that wrong. They just weren't able to execute it, and Florida State took advantage. What's funny is, at least I've been saying, run the damn ball early, and Longo would always throw it early up until last week. And now I'm talking about he should have thrown it more early. (laughs) (laughs) The nature of a pundit. Uh, Jason, talking about that right side, with all that success, State's going to have to account for that. Um, how does State account for that? And then how does Carolina continue to win that matchup? Because if you're running it for nine yards, ten yards a clip, I mean, you'd probably do it all night and have a pretty good day. So, A, running the ball, does Carolina run more or do they try to tendency break like we've talked about? And, B, do you think to avoid what Greg's talking about, the obvious passing downs that Carolina passes on the non-traditional passing downs, first and second more? So I think one of the things that you have to sort of think about is what Gibson does defensively. That's the, uh, that's the defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson, at, at NC State. So he and, – and Greg's right that he does like, – he, he's running a 3-3 stack, and there are similarities to what, what Bateman does in terms of liking to bring pressure from all sorts of places. But he relies more on – certain guesswork than than Bateman does in terms of how he how he calls his defense so they they're a slant heavy front so they're going to try to slant into your runs and what that means is you 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 line up your your uh, defensive lineman in one spot 
and then they instead of going straight forward they're going to move diagonally one direction or another in uh, generally speaking you're going to have the whole front slant over a gap or something like that uh in order to create some havoc up front and if he guesses right on that slant and slants into the right run call that sort of thing it can lead to tackles for a loss and that's what he's banking on so if you're thinking about tendency breakers for example what you want to do coming into this game is you look at okay what's our tendency when do we tend to run say split zone right out of this look on this down and distance odds are then you're going to get a defensive defensive line stunt left with a run blitz from NC State against that look. So now you zig instead of zagging there. Now, maybe instead of running split zone right, now you run uh, counter left into that, you know, and hit, that, hit that, that slant right in the teeth to where now they're slanting the other way. They're bringing a blitz into where they think you're going to run. And now instead of running split zone there and right into that spot, now you're bringing guys to the other side and you've got an extra guy. That's the sort of thing that, you're, that you look at as a tendency breaker in this kind of game. That, you know, you, you, you self-scout, you have your GAs give you your own charts. Here's the charts that they're going to be looking at. And I know that 64% of the time on first down, I've run these two calls and each of these goes to the right in this way. I'm going to give them this formation. I, ha I think I know what they're going to blitz or I think I know where they're going to slant. And I'm going to hit that in the teeth with this counter. That's what you do. So it's less about run pass and more about what you choose to run or what, what concepts you choose to use in the, in the passing game to where similar thing, like, okay, they know we like to run RPO glance route. That's like the little, little bit longer slant route behind the linebackers. And we're going to read that backer. They know we like to run that concept in this down and distance from this formation. This time, we're going to make it look like an RPO glance and we're going to run a pump and go, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to run a slant, a glance and go. And that safety who's going to come down to try to stop that glance route is going to have his shorts on the ground back there. And my guy's going, going yard for a touchdown. That's the sort of thing that you're trying to do when you're talking about tendency breakers and wrinkles that you add in. And you just have those on your play sheet on, okay, when, when I've, when I've done this once or twice in the game and I know they're about to do this to take it away because that's what he likes to do to take this away, now's when I've got my sluggo. Now's when I've got my, my little counter play. Or now's when I'm, I'm going to run the quarterback, right? I've been handing off, going right on this the whole way. Now all of a sudden I'm going to run it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Sam Howell read that backside edge guy and Howell's going to be running up the field for 30 yards because nobody's covered it because he hasn't run that play that much this year. So that's the sort of thing that you're going to see here. And the other thing is in the passing game, Gibson also likes to play a lot of fire zone. So they'll bring two rushers. Fire zone is where you're, you're bringing five total guys. And since they go with the three-man front as their default, that means you're going to get two guys either from the secondary or the backers. And then you're going to get a cover three, three deep behind it. And they'll rotate to that from one way or another. Well, if you get that look, that means you're going to get a one-on-one -on -one to the short side, and if you've got, say, De'Ami Brown there on the short side, maybe you can get a little pump and go. Maybe you can get him over the top of that corner. You're going to get some one-on-one -on -one matchups. Now you can just run sticks. You know, he goes 10 yards down the field and stops, and there you go. you got a, an easy first down. Or if you guess which direction the safety is going to rotate from the hash to there, you can oftentimes throw a little skinny post in behind that. 
So these are the sorts of things that you're looking at and you go, okay, can we dictate what kind of coverage, what kind of coverage rotation we're going to get from them and put in a couple of shot plays that are going to take advantage of that, that they're in our playbook already, right? You don't have to install it, but it's just when you time it and how you do it and whether there's a pump factor or these sorts of things that you add in to add a little bit of a wrinkle or you change this route, you know, oh, we've been running smash where you have a corner route from one of the, from the inside receiver. We've run smash on this play and Longo runs a lot of it run smash out of this formation and this down and distance for five weeks or four weeks now. You know what? Now we're going to act, we're going to call it smash shake. So instead of going smash, that inside guy gives a step to the, gives a step to the corner and pop jumps over to the, jumps over to the post and they've been reading corner on that. They've known from their scouting report all week. That's supposed to be a corner route. They jump it and you got a guy butt naked going to the post. This is the sort of thing that I would expect to see a couple times this week from North Carolina. You saw it a couple times last year where they, they hit him with a couple tendency breakers. And I was like, oh, Matt Brown is back. <laughs> You've got stuff in, you know, a little bit of the special stuff installed. There's going to be something in here because they'll, they'll have reserved a couple things in for, for, for NC State here. Greg, sort of, and Jason alluded to it, but a chess game. It's more of a chess game and a rivalry game, right, where you know each other so much more. Maybe so just because of <laughs> emotions, right? Well, I don't know. Do you think emotions play a role in, in the chess game? They can. But the, the, the hard part about the chess game in terms of you don't necessarily know the other team better if they're, if they're on new coordinators. And so Tim yeah. Beck is, is a new coordinator. Yeah, that's ordinarily accurate. in a rivalry game, you know, but he's a new guy. So Jay Bateman's having to go back and look at, you know, Texas film and Ohio state film to figure out what exactly to expect from, in terms of tendency breakers from Beck. So, I mean, that makes it harder. Yeah. Kind of my point, Tommy, is if you listen to Sam Howell this week, uh, one thing that he harped on was how just watching NC state on film, they were playing a lot harder. Um, what's one thing that we've always talked about? And it, <laughs> uh, Tamon Fox has even asked about this this week. You, State has established, at least within their fan base, and it's kind of spread throughout the state, that when these two teams play, they are the more physical team. They are the tougher team. North Carolina uh, is more finesse and more explosive and all those. Uh, but what's NC State NC State's done over the years, right? I mean, they've roughed up North Carolina's quarterbacks. Uh, Brent Renner was knocked out of a game. Marquise Williams was roughed up. That's what they want to do. And that's kind of the personality they've, they've taken. And so, yeah, I think that matters. And I think the fact that Sam Howell is even talking about that, seeing that on film, that they're playing more physical this year than they did last year. Now, granted, uh, they had a lot of injuries last year. And that, that really affected how well they played, especially toward the end of the year and, and against North Carolina. Um, but I think UNC is aware that in terms of emotion, that's going to be a, a big part of this game, and they have to match it. Now, if they match that emotion or even have more emotion than the Wolfpack, well, then everything kind of shifts in their favor because they've got more talent, and they're more settled with what they want because the coordinators are both in their second year, and you know, as Jason said, Gibson's in his, in his first year in that role. Um, but I think that's a, that's a key part of it, and that's, that's something we should talk about. Let's talk about Bateman's approach. Uh, to North Carolina State because like you mentioned Greg State has roughed up well go ahead Jason 
one other thing. This is where actually I think last week's game against Florida State will have helped North Carolina in that respect because Florida State was very physical, uh, overly so in some respects, uh, in, in certain, in certain uh, cases. And beyond the physicality of it, Florida State came out with a ton of energy in that game and really was the first team this year that hit North Carolina in the mouth. Right. And it really sort of got them on their heels. No pun intended. I mean, that was not intended. But, uh, but the thing is, you watch that North Carolina team recover from getting rocked in the first half and match that energy and exceed that energy in the second half. And North Carolina, for the most part, outplayed that Florida State team. After getting hit in the face, after getting hit, you, this is the thing that if I'm Mac Brown and the, and the coaching staff, I'm actually pleased when I go back and look at certain aspects of the film. I'm disappointed by the loss. But I look, at the, I look at some of it and I go, you know what? What I'm really excited about is this team got hit in the face. They got knocked down in the first. And then they came back and they scored some knockdowns of their own and they got into a street fight. They were willing to brawl with that team. And that speaks well to where my culture is and to the kind of response that I can expect from my team. So now I feel more comfortable going into a team that I know is going to do a lot of the same things and a lot more. They're gonna, I mean, NC State is almost certainly going to do a lot more extracurricular stuff. And I know that my team can respond with the same kind of physical edge and handle, the, handle that physicality and that energy and match it. And so that actually, I think, will help North Carolina a good bit. Well, that, that was sort of where I was trying to go there. Y'all shaped it better. But, Greg, State's always tried to bully Carolina running the football, whether it's, you know, the running backs or the quarterback a few years ago in that 16 game. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Bailey Hockman's not as good a runner as Jordan Travis is, clearly. But their running backs are probably better than Florida State had. So how does Jay Bateman recover? I know the second half was better for Carolina, but how does Jay Bateman recover from the past two weeks of having teams run the ball so effectively on North Carolina when NC State's going to come in and try to do the exact same thing? Well, I think this is really where it really helps that Devin Leary's not playing. Um, I mean, credit to that kid. He looks like a different player from last year. I mean, he, he's really been impressive. His numbers have kind of bore that out. Um, so you hate to see any kid get hurt. Uh, but here, here's your stat of the day, Tommy. Bailey Hockman this year under pressure, NFL rating five point seven. That is not good. That's not good. Didn't I read something where they said if you throw the ball in the ground, you get a thirty point thirty three? Correct. Net? That's right. That's right. <laughs> five point seven. Wow. Um, so anyway, what that tells you is that that Hockman's nowhere near the quarterback uh, that Leary is. He's playing like a Florida State quarterback of recent years, which he was. He was, right, good figure. <laughs> he had to leave Florida State because he was struggling so much. Which um, tells you something. Right. Oh, my goodness, does that tell you a lot? Lord, he's going to go nuts on Saturday, y'all talking the man down. Anyway, yeah. Greg, go ahead. He, here you go, though. But what that does is that allows Jay Bateman to really focus in on the run, and that's the key component. And the fact that uh, – and we talked about this, Tommy, earlier this week – but after those, those first two games where his defense looked really good, he, you know, he had a little uh, swag pep to his step. Swag, yeah, that's what I was going for. Pep <laughs> to his step. A little bit cocky, which you like to see. That's fun. Uh, and talking with the media, after Virginia Tech and after Florida State, that went away. And I think he kind of understood. Uh, he had a lot of work to do. And Max said that. Max said, you know, the first two games, 
forget about them. Syracuse was without their top two running backs. Their offensive line was a mess anyway. And then Boston College just didn't want to run the ball. Uh, and he, as he said, what you saw against Virginia Tech and what you saw against Florida State is more what UNC's run defense looks like. Now, to be fair, I think Virginia Tech's rushing attack is incredible, one of the best in the country. Uh, so you give him a pass for that. Uh, but when you look at NC State, as you said, Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person, they've been pretty good. They've been solid. And if you look at where they've done their most damage, it's up the middle. Uh, 54 carries up the gut, seven and a half yards per carry. That's where they're at their best. And so that's something that Jay Bateman's going to be paying attention to. Um, and that I'm curious to see exactly what he does in terms of formations. You know, we saw the five-man front early against Boston College. Uh, a little bit different look against Virginia Tech where he brought in an extra linebacker. So he's got a lot of different options kind of in his, in his bag that he can use. But North Carolina has got to shut down the, the run. And, and you make Hockman beat you. And if Hockman beats you, you tip your cap. But basically you're saying, look, we're going to do everything we can to sell out, stop the run. And if Hockman's going to out-duel Sam Howell, so be it. Um, but if you take away what NC State wants to do, and you really limit Person and Knight, who are both very good backs, as you say, Tommy, uh, that's got to be mission number one for Bateman and his staff. Jason, I mean, Chas Rat's got to make tackles, you know, at the point of attack, not chasing them down. Um, that was there, there were a couple that were just absolutely costly this last week. And they were game changer. They game really changer were. misses. Um, Hockman's not that elusive, but Person and Bam Knight, you know, they can break tackles. Talk about that. And also, uh, state's receivers have always been pretty big and pretty physical. And, and Carolina's got to stand up to that. So, Bateman's defensive approach um, from maybe the back seven in this one. Yeah, I, I see this as a game where, especially with, with Hockman, see, this is where Hockman being the quarterback and not Leary changes a lot for me as a coordinator. Because Leary had shown he could spin it and challenge you down the field. Hockman does not give you that option if you're, if you're NC State. The ability to play action and, and just hit that, you know, hit a skinny, hit, you know, some of those downfield routes that can really gash you you're really worried about verticals with, uh, with, with Leary. And he had, he had shown that additional element to their game. With Hockman, I'm just not afraid of the passing game as a defensive coordinator. And, you know, you, you look at even, even against a clean pocket, I mean, no pressure. His passer rating is only 101.2 in the NFL. Right? I mean, that's, that's not terrible, but it's not good. Right? It's not great. So, you know, and you look at where his success has been and he's, he's done a lot of damage in the short zones, short. And then that intermediate middle area is where most of his damage has happened. The only other thing you got to worry about him is the outside left. Interestingly. So I, if you look at this, he's eight of 12 for two touchdowns and no interceptions throwing deep to the left. And he's a lefty. If you go to the right side, he's got no touchdowns and he's three of nine. So that's something that I look at as a, as a defensive coordinator, and I say, this guy can't throw left as well as he throw, or can't throw to his right as, he, as well as he throws left. So now what am I doing? I'm bringing pressure from that right side because I don't think he can beat me on that side as easily, right? So that's one thing I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a look at where his numbers, where his benefit, benefits come, and I'm, I'm rotating my defense to take away some stuff on the left. 
And I also, I'm not afraid of those receivers given the corners that I'm running out there. I feel like my corners, if I'm, if I'm Jay Bateman, I feel like I can, I can single cover Amezi, Devin Carter. You know, they're big guys, 6'3", 6'4", and they're physical. But I feel like I can run out my, my set of corners with the way that Renee has looked. Renee looked the best he's looked all season against Florida State. He looked really good. And he looked like he's finally starting to move around like a little, a little bit closer to he was prior to the injury. I feel like I can, I can go on an island a little bit more with those guys. And that means I can commit those resources to the run and try to get some pressure coming in from the right side of the quarterback and take away what they do best. And if they beat me with their receivers and, and Hockman beat me in the passing game, then I made them beat me left-handed or right-handed, I guess, since Hockman's left-handed. That's what I'm trying to do. And I feel, I feel pretty, pretty strongly that if I'm, able to, if I'm able to do that, they're going to have a hard time moving the football with consistency. So that, that's how I would take it if I were, if I were Bateman. Yeah, they better watch Kerry Angelon too, though, because that tight end can play, and he's made plays for them. And as we saw, as you highlighted, a walk-on, never-played tight end made one of the biggest catches for Florida State. <laughs> well, and again, I think I think Angeline is the is their is their number one threat as a as a pass. More afraid of, what, of some of the damage that he can do with Hockman than I am of some of the outside guys against Michael. It's your turn to go uh, Godzilla movie, Jason. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get to predictions. And folks, listen to this. We don't need to talk about Carolina's offense and what they need to do um, too much because, you know, we do that every week here. So let's do predictions. I'm going to let you start, Jason, if, if your audio has come back in. Uh, Carolina NC State in Kenyon Stadium, 12 noon on ESPN. Weather should be perfect. Stands should be close to empty given COVID, <laughs> how does this one shake out um, for, you know, what, the third-ranked game in however many years that this team has played with NC State? Well, I, I really think that this matchup is very favorable to North Carolina. Uh, the one thing that gives me a little bit of hesitation is that NC State can run the football. And as always, they've got – they're pretty good on the, on the uh, offensive line, and they've got some backs that can run it. But ultimately, I don't – I just – I keep going back to last year, and they couldn't stop North Carolina's offense. And I don't think they've got a whole lot of different players on that defense that they're going to be running out there very similar last year on both sides of the ball. I think Carolina will give up more points than they did last year just because they're not as strong up front. So it'll be a closer game. But last year was 41-10, to 10, and I don't think that that gap is has dramatically shrunk. I think Carolina is going to score a decent amount of points and, I, and they could have scored more last year than they did. So I, I'm going to go with North Carolina scores 48 against this NC state team and go with uh, 48 to 23 North Carolina over, over NC state. I, I'm, I'm, I feel comfortable that, that this Carolina team will bounce back and bounce back well against a, an NC State team that'll be able to run the football some, but they, I don't think they're going to be balanced enough to, to beat North Carolina in this, in this game. Greg Barnes, you're up. Yeah, this is one if Leary is playing. Uh, I think this is a very close game, and I think that'd be yep. one of the best rivalry matchups we've seen between these two in a long time. Unfortunately, uh, another break kind of goes UNC's way. I take them when you can get them. Break, uh, was that on purpose? Yeah. A lot of puns uh, today. No, it wasn't. 
fantastic podcast. I'll, I'll claim them when I do them. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think the, the spread for me is a little rich. Um, I, I think State is markedly better than they were last year, especially defensively, even though they have given up some points. Um, I think Virginia Tech's really good. And I think the fact that North Carolina had its best offensive game against the Hokies is going to eventually tell us uh, a lot about how UNC finished the season because that was an important win. And so that's really State's worst game, uh, both defensively and, of course, it was their only loss. Uh, I do have North Carolina win this one. I've got them winning 35-24. But I think it's going to be a competitive game until late. And I I don't think NC State can keep up with UNC offensively uh, and and not having Leary is going to be the deciding factor here. That's a good pick there. I kind of like that. I always hesitate to uh, pick anymore since I've been so bad at it. But I think special teams might play a play a role. Uh, you know, State's blocked a couple punts, and they've got one guy, Levi, whose name escapes me. He's blocked a couple in the last two games. I, you know, Carolina's got to shore that up. And if – I will pick this way. I will say Carolina 45, State 28, if nobody blocks a punt for NC State because <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid we're going to see that the way Carolina has been protected. Not after last week. I can promise you that the, that the punt uh, punting team got a little extra attention this week. All right, Jason, we'll, we get qualifiers. So what's your qualifier? Turnovers. If NC State doesn't. Turnovers. Jason's is turnovers. See, everybody yeah, for has me, for me, for me, NC State would have to be, I think, plus three in this game to, to win this game. And so ultimately I think as long as, as you know, my pro- projection is based on UNC probably being plus one. So, you know, that's 48-23. UNC's plus one or plus two in the turnover battle. If UNC's – if it's even or, you know, if it's if, – if NC State has a plus one advantage, then I'm looking at something like 35 – you know, 35-38 to 24-21, something like that. I think Carolina's probably going to get a turnover too based on Hockman's play. And, uh, and that's where I think you, you get one short field and that changes, changes the score there. So that's my, my real condition. But like Tommy said, predictions are hard, especially about the future. <laughs> yeah, I can look back and say I, I had Florida State winning that game by three last week. Y'all just misheard me when I said Carolina by 23. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, no qualifiers, Greg. 40, 40, no qualifiers, 45-28 Carolina wins against NC State. It's going to be interesting to see the emotion in the stadium without any fans there. And, and this is the true, the first true rivalry game that Carolina's had to play with no fans. And what did they learn from the Florida State game um, where they had to bring their energy when they had another team that jumped on them like we talked about earlier? Anyway, 45-28 Carolina. I reserved the right to be wrong. I always am. It's been the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, InsideCarolina.com. Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy. Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.